Hi, I'm April Klimkevich. And I'm Amanda McClooney, and this is Her Step Forward, where we share stories from women who step up, step out, and step forward into careers and lives they love. Dr. Christine Bashara, MD, is the founder of From Within Medical, a New York City medical wellness and weight loss practice that places emphasis on the mind, body, and gut-brain access to prevent and manage disease. With over 20 years of clinical experience, time and time again, Dr. Bashara has discovered that the connection between these systems plays a significant role in disease prevention, but is not being adequately addressed. She also understands the impact that daily demands and stress place on our bodies and wants to help others learn how to balance a career and a family life while staying as healthy as possible. I also have to share that we're experiencing a tropical depression right now, which has created some technical difficulties for us. And so we may have some weird sound problems. We just wanted to let you know, but we're going to power through, do our best. And Christine, we thank you and your kids so much for helping us with these technical difficulties. And we're just so delighted to chat with you. (laughs) I am as well. Thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited. So many people are familiar with the mind-body connection, but fewer know of the brain-gut connection. Can you tell us a little bit about your work in these areas? Absolutely. So our body is uh, extremely efficient at survival. And, you know, how do we survive? There's so many factors, but food plays a huge role, right? Because it fuels our cells. And our body is made in a way that it's always trying to be as efficient as possible so that we can survive. Unfortunately, because we have so many food options out there uh, recently and you know over the past decade, that um, we sometimes choose the wrong foods for our body. And uh, unfortunately, that has affected how our body and our health is, but also our brain. And um, it's so important to understand how that works. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about our gut and our gut housing, our immune system. I would say 70% of our immune system is actually in our gut. And our gut bacteria, um, which is another word for it is the gut microbiome, plays a huge role in our overall health. Um, For example, when you eat certain foods, such as uh, very rich carbohydrate foods or uh, very sweet things, and you're always craving those, those might signify that you have a neurotransmitter deficiency or some kind of element in your body that's not stabilized. So um, I'll give you an example. Um, A lot of people don't even realize this, but serotonin, which is uh, one of our mood neurotransmitters, um, and it stabilizes our mood, the majority of serotonin is actually made in our gut. And how is it made? Well, it's made obviously through precursor elements, uh, things such as 5-HTP tryptophan, and we find that in food. And so if we're not eating properly and not eating the right foods that can help build up our serotonin level, our body's going to try to crave and replenish that in whatever way it can. And unfortunately, sometimes it's you know foods that aren't good for us. Um, and you know our guts have good bacteria and bad bacteria. And as in life, right, there's good and bad, but we always want the good to have a higher ratio than the bad. Um, because unfortunately, sometimes when you have too much bad bacteria in your in your body it shuts off that uh, feedback loop that tells your brain you're, you're full. So we really want to try to 
stabilize that gut proportion in our body so that our body can work efficiently, our moods can be stable, so many factors that go into that. That's really interesting because anecdotally, I know a lot of women who have immune issues and immune disorders, and I feel like connecting it to the gut is um, something that's recent. We didn't always know about that, and a lot of people don't know about that. And wow, how useful this information is to people who are struggling to get a handle on, um, you know, these issues that they've been struggling with from day to day. Absolutely. And that's what I really do in my practice. Um, We go through a very thorough um, history and we do a very specific questionnaire that kind of looks for different deficiencies based on how you answer those questionnaires based on mood. Um, you know, things that you do, things that, that kind of, uh, you know, affect your daily life. And based on those, we decide, well, you know what, you might need to eat a little bit more of this, or you might need this specific supplement. And natural supplements are so, so powerful. Um, because if you think about how our bodies function, you know, the nutrients that we get help our help to make um, neurotransmitters, they're building blocks. I mean, I'll give you another example. We have dopamine. A lot of people don't know dopamine, but dopamine is also another neurotransmitter. And what's the precursor for dopamine? How is dopamine made? Well, it's made from a substance called tyrosine. And there are specific foods that are very rich in tyrosine. So if we're having a very balanced diet, um, and sometimes that's really hard because of the stress that we go through and just daily lives, um, sometimes we're not really eating the proper things. And so we have that imbalance. And so I really try to incorporate um, natural substances as much as I can and natural supplements because I think our bodies, again, are just so powerful in survival and, you know, we want to heal from within. And this is really why I named my medical practice From Within Medical is because our bodies are really capable of healing from within if we give them the right tools and nutrients. I find your work so fascinating, and I know everyone's body is different and probably has unique needs, but I'm also curious if in all your years of medical practice Mm -hmm. and research, have you ever found a common thread as far as something that everyone should have in their diet or on the other side, maybe everyone should avoid this one thing? I'm a big proponent of um, intermittent fasting, Um, and whether or not you do it, there's several different ways of doing fasting, but my one one advice, if you were to ask me, um, what's one thing I can change um, just to feel better and, you know, try to get to a better health, healthy lifestyle is I would say restrict the time that you're eating, Um, because if your body is working on digesting food all day long, well, it's not focusing on other functions. And so, for example, I always try to say, uh, if you can limit the time that you're actually eating to less than 10 hours a day, that works really well for your body. And that can be a whole nother podcast where we talk about cell renewal and cell recycling. But I mean, if you think about um, uh, like a if you buy a new vacuum machine, right, and it can be the best vacuum machine, you know, around, and if you're using it all day long, 
well, it's not going to function as well, you know, in two years versus a vacuum that you're using, you know, a couple of hours a day, for example. And so our bodies are the same. They, you know, our, our cells go through constant renewal. Cell death is, you know, is normal. And, you know, it's, it's a recycling and remaking of new cells. And if um, our cells aren't given that time where they're actually allowed to work on that or we're constantly, you know, digesting food and fo our body's focusing on just, you know, digesting and not other functions, it's going to shut down. And, you know, a big part of restricting your food, like people talk about insulin resistance and development of diabetes. Well, the way insulin works is it helps to transport glucose into our cells. And if you're eating all day long, well, what's happening? Your body's releasing that insulin all day long. Um, but unfortunately, you know, having insulin spikes all day long kind of builds this, uh, you know, remember the boy who cried wolf kind of scenario where, uh, you know, if you're constantly saying, hey, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble, then after a while people start not really taking you seriously. Well, it's kind of the same thing with insulin. Um, if you're eating all day long, your insulin spikes are going on all day long. And what happens is after a while, your cells kind of start becoming a little resistant to that. So that's really another reason for why I recommend kind of restricting the time of eating so that you're not releasing insulin all day um, and your body's doing other functions. So in a nutshell, there's a lot to talk about with that, but that's basically in a nutshell, if I were to give one word of advice is to kind of restrict the time that you're eating and try to limit your time of eating to, um, to stop like about four hours before you sleep. I've heard a lot about intermittent fasting. I've heard good things about it and doctors recommending it. So that's really, that's great advice. Thank you. Absolutely. So Christine, changing topics just a bit here. I know that you recently published an article along with Dr. Francois Sadim a guest who we had on the show last season, and some others in the American Journal of Translational Medicine. Can you talk to us about what you learned from your research? Sure. Um, let me give you a little bit of uh, like a background. Um, so my husband is a pulmonologist intensivist, and we live in New York City. So um, as you both know, the COVID pandemic kind of hit New York first in the U.S., and so immediately in, you know, in March of 2020, he was kind of thrust into the front lines. And at the time, we didn't really know much about COVID um, and how it affects different people. So uh, he and I would have nightly conversations about what he was seeing in the ICU. I mean, granted, he was seeing the complete extreme spectrum, right? He was seeing all well, the end of the extreme spectrum of like really sick patients in the ICU. And I was very curious to discuss with him nightly, you know, what kind of cases he was seeing and what they were doing as treatment. And I was interested to find out that um, a huge proportion of his patients in the ICU were, you know, not only elderly. I mean, we know that elderly people are at risk and certain people with comorbidities. But he was mentioning that he had a lot of cases of patients who were younger but had a very high BMI. Um, so BMI is over 30. And he had mentioned that they were using uh, medications that inhibit certain inflammatory markers that they tested for, um, one of them being uh, an inflammatory mediator called interleukin-6. And he said that they were finding that interleukin-6 inhibitors were a little bit more efficient in helping manage their condition. And I don't know if you've both heard of something called the cytokine storm. 
Yes. And I want to try not to get too medical and technical because I don't want to be that doctor that just kind of goes off. But um, so our body, like I mentioned before, uh, is all about survival. And so there are certain people who have a higher than normal level of this one specific inflammatory marker, which is called interleukin-6. Now, interleukin-6 obviously tries to protect our body, right? So when we're exposed to something that our body perceives as dangerous, it kind of stimulates this cascade of immune responders to help us, right? And one of them is interleukin-6. Unfortunately, it seems like people who have higher than normal levels of um, a BMI who are obese or patients who are diabetic have already higher than normal levels of interleukin-6 circulating in their body. And this is not necessarily a good thing um, because what happens is they already have this level higher than normal level. And so if you think about it in a way where, for example, if... um, Say you're driving through the woods and you encounter an emergency where you need to, you know, contact 911 or whatever, and you have good cell service and your car has great gas and you have food in your car, you're fine, right? That emergency situation will be taken care of. But let's put it in a situation where, for example, uh, same situation, but, you know, you're low on gas, your cell phone battery is, is almost dead, and you have no food, then what happens, it's a very different situation than the one I just mentioned. And that's what happens with uh, patients who have higher than normal levels of interleukin-6. Their body's already kind of on that high guard, like high alert. And so when it's exposed to a virus like COVID, then it kind of goes into this hyper-exaggerated response, right, where it doesn't know what to do, and this is what initiates that cytokine storm which makes us more sick, right? It's, it's what makes these patients more vulnerable because our body is releasing all these inflammatory mediators, but unfortunately, they're also kind of doing damage to their own cells. So this is really, and, and maybe I kind of went into it a little bit more, but I wanted to tell you how we came about um, figuring out why children were protected. Um, and so when my husband was telling me this, um, he had actually asked me, he, he he knows that, you know, I, I'm a big gut proponent and I'm, you know, very, uh, uh, like my, my, a lot of my patients are weight loss patients. And so he asked me one day, do patients who are obese or have high BMIs have, you know, higher levels of interleukin-6 because these are the patients that we're seeing really sick? And I said, actually, they do. Um, and so that kind of got me thinking about our guts and whether or not they play a role. And, you know, I started thinking about, well, kids kids are not getting sick. And overall, kids do have healthier guts than adults. Um, and so this is where we kind of started our research. Well, what is it about kids' guts that uh, are protecting them? And so when we started doing our research, I started initially kind of just um, reading and trying to figure out what it was. And it turns out that children have a much higher level of a one specific Um, gut bacteria called bifidobacterium. And actually, um, most probiotic formulas contain bifidobacterium because there are so many studies that have shown that um, it's very beneficial. And so it's it's in most probiotics. But in specific, kids' guts, bifidobacterium is actually in much higher concentration, and it starts to decline as we we age. And it also starts to decline in certain high-risk patients that we just talked about. So elderly patients, patients with comorbidities, as well as patients who are morbidly obese, seem to have 
lower levels of this gut bacteria? Well, it turns out that bifidobacterium actually also works on the same immune pathway that COVID seems to be attacking. So we started looking at interleukin-6 and bifidobacterium, if you have high levels, well, guess what? It's actually inhibiting interleukin-6, that pro-inflammatory mediator that you know is so worrisome. So it turns out that patients who don't have higher levels from what we're seeing, maybe their immune pathway is kind of like in a vulnerable position. So clinically, I was seeing you know this and, and I was convinced, but I wanted to make sure that what I was seeing clinically and what my husband was telling me from his clinical um, uh, you know, experience, I wanted to kind of match it up with molecular pathways, right, to make sure. And this is where Dr. Sadim came in between us and Dr. Blaze, who was the other doctor who conducted the research with us. They came up with the pathways to see where does bifidobacterium affect the immune pathway. And it turns out that it's exactly what we had suspected is that it does affect the same pathway that COVID seems to be attacking. Um, and it's protective. So this is really where we came to that research and uh, we published it and we're just trying to see if we can help as many people as we can. And so what we would love to do ideally is to conduct gut analysis on high-risk patients and patients who have gotten sick and compare them with others who haven't necessarily gotten so sick from COVID. That must have been such an amazing feeling to see what you knew anecdotally be represented through the research. <laughs> Can you tell us how that felt? What was going on for you when you realized that you'd been right? Yeah, it's funny because, um, you know, when I started kind of putting two and two together, it was maybe like towards the end of March, April. And so people were really still sick and we still have a lot of people getting really sick. And I, I felt like I, I was just rushed to try to get more and more information so that we can get this out to try to help as many people as we can. So it was, it was funny because it was like a light bulb moment you know, when my husband was asking me about interleukin-6 and I'm like, you know, that, I don't know, let's see. So, um, but just, it, it was great to have that clinical and the molecular kind of meet up. And so that was very exciting when Dr. Blaze and Dr. Sadim, you know, did their part. And I said, please look into these molecular pathways. And, you know, it all kind of matched up. So very exciting. But, you know, as in science and so much in science is you need to have data to back this up. And there is a lot of data on the role of gut bacteria, in particular bifidobacterium. But there's never really been any studies of COVID patients in particular and so that's really our goal is to try to, you know, do gut analysis of so many different cohorts to kind of compare them and see is this really matching up to what we've found in our research. So that's really what we'd love to do. Um, but I think in the meantime, right, since it's a condition where, you know, we're kind of like in a rush to try to find a solution, right? Everyone's working on the vaccine but why not maybe take a probiotic containing high levels of bifidobacterium? It's not harmful. If anything, it could, it could help. It's one of those things where taking a probiotic is, there's never been a case where people died from taking a probiotic. So um, what we're recommending is, you know what, maybe everyone should start taking a probiotic containing bifidobacterium. It can't hurt. Wow, I'm really blown away to learn about this connection between gut health and coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Because for months, we've really only heard that this is classified as a respiratory virus. And so as someone not in the medical community, 
it's just, it sounds so shocking to learn this information. It, I mean, it is. If you think about it, you know, like I said, the majority of our immune system is in our gut. And, you know, from what we're seeing, it's definitely an immune dysregulation that we're seeing with COVID, um, where you, there's no other way to explain one particular subset of people are getting really sick and another are not. And so it really all comes down to our immune system and how do we, you know, and, and this is not to shame anyone who has a high BMI. I mean, I'm somebody who struggled with, you know, being obese uh, up until my early 20s. And this is, again, the reason why uh, I started my practice is because I'm passionate about helping others kind of attain their goal and it's, it's, it's doable. But this is really more about how do we start allowing our own bodies to heal and to boost our immune system and to do those things that our bodies are capable of doing. They just need the right nutrients and the right tools. So, Christine, you know, you just mentioned that part of starting your business was about helping people to attain their goals. And I know you've also mentioned to us before that you are all about lifting other women up and helping them mm-hmm. follow their dreams. When did that start for you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's funny because I think as a society, um, we tend to view certain types of, um, I guess, intelligences as superior. And um, I think that's unfortunate because I think it causes some people to feel inferior or feel like they're not capable. But it's interesting because I have three children and, and, you know, like even just with my husband, like we're all so different. Our gifts are so different. Our intelligences are so different. And I think it's so important to kind of just find what you're really good at and what your type of intelligence is and kind of hone in on that and make that your passion. And that's really why I want to help all women, because I feel like a lot of women sometimes are down on themselves and thinking, well, I'm not as smart as she is, or I'm not as pretty as she is, but really you know, we all have different gifts and different um, strengths. And instead of comparing, let's just build one another up. And, you know, it's it's funny because um, Mother Teresa said something like, this is what, like one of my favorite quotes and, you know, my kids really like it too. I always say it to them. But she said something that said, um, I can do things you cannot. You can do things I cannot. Together we can do great things. And that's really just something that I would love to help other women kind of realize is that, We all have a gift, and let's just use that gift to be our passion and to help others. I love that Mother Teresa quote, the idea that we can each bring our best gifts to the table. We don't have to compete with each other. Instead, we can work together, and especially in the world with the way it is with what's going on right now, rather than competing or being on different sides, wouldn't it be beautiful if we could all come together and bring our best gifts to create even more greatness? I love that. Absolutely. It's funny. I read this book. um, I think the author was called Gardner, Howard Gardner, I believe. I don't remember the first name, but last name was Gardner. And he wrote this book called uh, Frames of Mind. And it basically talked about six different types of intelligences and how ancient societies um, honed in on that a lot more than we do. Um, And so, for example, if you're that math and science intelligence, then, you know, you can focus on on this. But then there's also linguistic intelligence, there's kinesthetic intelligence, there's that artistic intelligence. And I think if we all kind of realize what our intelligence is, 
then we can all help one another to, you know, come up with something great. So I, I, I try to stress that with, you know, especially my kids, but also I think um, in our education system, I think we really should also, I think all teachers should read that book because um, it will allow us to have a different perspective on intelligence in general. That's interesting that you say that about different types of intellects. So I was raised in a house with a mother who had formerly been an elementary school teacher. She's actually from New York as well. And in her courses, she learned about different types of intellects and skills and how to bring the best out of different types of students. And I'm one of three sisters. She did the same thing with us growing up. She would always praise what each of us was good at, and each of us are good at very different things. And it wasn't always about grades or schoolwork. It was about a variety of different things. And I feel very grateful to have been raised in an environment like that so I can see how, how this is really powerful. Well, and I'm so glad to hear that your mom was like that too, because I think we need so many more educators that are like that and that understand that concept. Kudos to your mom. That's awesome. I can imagine that you have a lot going on with balancing your career and your family. (laughs) Maybe you could share with us some of the things that help you create balance in your life. Hmm, that's That's a tough one because if you don't actively try to make that time for yourself, then you kind of get lost, right? And I think as women, we, you know, we are givers and we want to help others. And sometimes... That means, you know, kind of neglecting ourselves. So I do try to take at least an hour of my day to focus on, you know, just me. And whether that's, you know, just even just taking like a nice long bath or, you know, going on social media. I try not to do that as often. But yeah, um, or things like that. But also I try to devote some time to prayer. And, you know, ideally I, I like to do it in the morning. But sometimes, you know, just the rush of the day, sometimes it doesn't happen. But that sometimes grounds me as well. Um, and I have to say the past few months during the pandemic has been great because I've gotten to spend more time with my kids who've been home. And we've done a lot of uh, things that we, you know, hadn't done before, which is great. So um, I think as women, you know, we just need to try to see if we can find. I know some some women are so busy, especially like new moms. Um, and just try to find that one hour where you can just escape, even if it's in the bathroom or, or just, you know, taking a bath. It's so important for our mental health. I really appreciate that you mentioned that spiritual connection because it's so important for us to take time for ourselves, certainly, but things can get really heavy and, you know, it's important to rely on the people around us, but it's also really important to rely on divinity to help us through those really difficult times. Absolutely. And if, you know, even if if you're not a religious person, you're not someone who prays, then even just that time where you're having, um, you know, just some time to meditate and relax or like do yoga. Um, So uh, it's so important. Christine, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you today. I know April and I have really enjoyed the conversation. And as we are wrapping up, We always ask our guests the same last question, and that is, what is your best piece of advice for women who are looking to take their next step forward? This is going to sound corny, um, but just do it. There's never going to be 
the perfect opportunity or the perfect time. Um, and this is something that I, even I struggled with, uh, you know, when starting my practice. I was like, oh, I don't have enough time or, uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm busy, whatever. Um, there's never going to be the perfect time. And so if you just start, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just start on whatever, you know, mission that you have and just work, work slowly on it. Um, and, you know, again, this is another thing where I think women have a harder time doing than men. And uh, it's funny because uh, they've done some studies on uh, men and women and comparing them from like earlier, uh, like childhood. And like usually w uh, girls, um, you know, like exceed boys academically in school. Um, and it's because... In school, you know, they, they want to get everything perfect and they get their notebook and everything's written perfectly and they study perfectly. Whereas, you know, guys at that age, like a lot of boys don't do that, right? They kind of wing it. Um, and so apparently over the years, guys start becoming more confident. And this is why, you know, we have a little bit more guys, I guess, that are, I don't want to say successful, but like more male CEOs than female CEOs. It's because... Over the years, from you know, an early childhood, they've been used to kind of just like taking risks, going for it, and winging it, and then getting that reward. Like, oh, okay, this worked out. Like, I didn't study as well for my math test, but I did pretty well. So over the years, apparently, that builds confidence. Whereas with women, over the years, we we are like harder on ourselves, and we're always trying to be perfect. And so later in life, apparently, that kind of holds us back. So, and you know, I, I've seen it with myself. I've seen it in so many things where, you know, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I don't want to do this because I don't have the time and it's not the perfect time and it's not going to be perfect. It's okay. Just start. Start doing it. Work on it. Um, not, nothing's ever going to be perfect from the beginning. You just work on it and, and you know, it'll, it'll come after that. So that would be my advice. Just, just whatever you want to do, just go for it. There's never a perfect time. That idea of just doing it is such great advice. And that's exactly what we did today with our technical problems. And we're so grateful for your help with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it just, you know, it, it resonates with so many of us, right? Like we all want to have that perfect whatever, but just start, start somewhere. Like there's no such, this is why we have rough drafts, right? Because you start. And then you just build upon it. And, um, you know, any successful person, I don't care who they are, did not start out perfect with whatever they were doing. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, fear um, is a big hindrance for many. And perfectionism kind of comes out of fear. So just, you know, just go for it. Just, just, just do it. Thank you for sharing that advice with us, Christine. I really agree to just do it. And it goes really hand in hand with the theme of our podcast, which is to put your next step forward. So I'm so glad that you shared that. And with that, we want to say thanks to everyone for joining us today. And thanks so much to you, Christine, for taking time to share your story with us. And thank you so much for having me. Of course. Christine, we want to thank you so much for helping us move through our technical difficulties together. And we want to thank your kids. Their names were Lauren and uh, Lauren, Emma and Matthew. Yes. And we want to thank them so much for their help today. We couldn't have done this without them. So thank them. Thank you. And we're so happy you could be here with us today. <laughs> I'm grateful for them. <laughs> 
as always, we're looking forward to sharing more stories soon. In the meantime, check out our website at herstepforward.com or follow us on Instagram at herstepforward for all the latest updates. If you'd like to reach out to us, shoot us a message on Instagram or email us at info at herstepforward.com. See you next time.